Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is the Paceline Tandem, a special episode of the podcast on two wheels. I'm co-host Celine Yeager, and I have a really special show for you this week. Before Lance and LeMond and 7-Eleven and Motorola, there was a group of cyclists paving the way for American racing on the international scene. They were the Raleigh Boys of the 1960s and 70s. The Raleigh Boys set the benchmark as the first fully sponsored American cycling team competing abroad in Europe. My guest this week is one of those Raleigh boys, Bill Humphreys. Bill Humphreys was a hippie and a bit of a drifter who discovered his gift for cycling later in life. After proving his mettle and his stubbornness as a rogue privateer, he got invited to join the boys and race alongside John Howard, Doug Dale, Bobby Phillips, and Dickie Dunn, just to name a few. That pack of two-wheel pioneers organized forays far and wide and made their mark with stage wins and podium positions in races like the Tour of Ireland in the 1970s. Bill Humphreys, or the bike guy, as many call him, has been a dear friend of mine for 25 years. I met Bill when he came to work for bicycling in the events and marketing department, and we became fast friends, despite the fact that he was constantly giving me unsolicited, if correct, training advice. I'll be honest, at the time, I did not fully appreciate what a legend Bill was. I just knew him as an older dude who was a total badass on the bike. He was in his early 50s at the time, and he told me he was going to get a college degree, get married, and start a family before turning 55. And he did. All of it. Bill is still married to his wonderful wife, Sarah, and his son, Ian, is now in college himself. When Bill puts his mind to something, he does it. These days, Bill has Ireland on his mind again. He's turning 75 this summer, and Bill's always been one for celebratory bike rides. So this particular celebratory bike ride, he's decided to go big with a six-day Tour of Ireland reunion ride on August 4th through the 10th. I sat down with Bill to talk about his storied career in the upcoming reunion. Honestly, the conversation could have gone on for hours, and had we been sitting in his backyard overlooking the lake in his old Lime Connecticut home with a bottle of wine, like we have so many times, it would have. But we focused it mostly on those early years and in and around Ireland. Bill is an animated man, so you'll hear him banging on the table for emphasis here and there. It's more like a fireside chat than a formal interview. But it's all Bill in all of Bill's wonderfulness. And it's a rich, often overlooked part of American cycling's past. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. One thing I guess I want to make is just for the for the cycling community uh, guys that raced in my era uh-huh. uh, i'm really aware of the of the recent history you know the guys that came before me and the guys that went to europe on their own and you know and so when you use that term pioneer you know you you have to you have to be careful uh, yes um, and respect you know there was a bunch of different guys doing a bunch of different things and you know Nobody, nobody necessarily knew everybody and what they were doing over there. Right, uh, right. 
But, but in regards to, uh, with all that aside, um, I didn't realize the significance of our our race in Ireland until Peter and I, the you know one of the ultimate historians and the and the author of the of the um, uh, something on lions, you know, and and the established the official historian for the bicycling hall of fame mm-hmm. and his quote, his quote was you know this was the first fully sponsored u.s team to go race in europe and a stage race in europe and that's the quote now you know other guys and i always say this when i start telling the story other guys had been there you know uh phil okay. liggett you know phil liggett for instance had never seen a, a fully sponsored u.s team he'd seen individuals you know, guys had put together little all-star teams or pickup teams, and he'd seen Mike Neal in the milk race on his own with some other pickup team. Uh, he'd seen individuals, but he hadn't seen a team show up that was fully sponsored and had all the support and, and was on equal terms with every other team that was there. Right. Gotcha. So, um, and, you know, and they... and like Richie Chillingsworth had been there the year before us and, and a couple other guys on a pickup team, a club team that had some Americans and maybe an, an Englishman or two on the team. Mm-hmm. But that was a lot different from what we were doing. Raleigh um, got involved um, through Chawner and Alice and Fred Kuhn in, in Princeton, the Century Road Club of America, uh, worked with Raleigh and Raleigh wanted to show this is how you get ready to race in Europe. This is, gotcha. you know, you go ride stage races there and then you go ride the world's championships, in other words. And in the past, the U.S. team, you know, only time a U.S. team would go to Europe previous to us was for the world's championships road race. Right, right. And they, you know, they wouldn't do well and they'd come home. And and, uh, and so Raleigh wanted to show the U.S. Cycling Federation, the American Bicycle League, whatever they were at the time, you know, this is how you go over and you race some stage races and then you ride the world and it's, you know, and, and you're so much better prepared. So right. this was their this was their way of saying this is how you do it. So uh, they they put together this powerhouse team. You know, they uh, they went and got John Howard. John Alice was always a member of this team. Dave Chawner was always a member. They went and got Flip Walteufel out in, in um, you know, California. And, uh, you know, they put together a bunch of heavy hitters and uh, and made sure that we raced in Canada and, and stage races in Canada on our own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then this thing from Ireland came to me. You know, it came out of nowhere from my perspective. I was Nicky Newguy. Um, I showed up in Princeton, New Jersey, a complete unknown. Um, and uh, it was only by chance that I uh, that that I hooked up with Dave Chawner and he talked me out of going to Europe. I was leaving for Europe the next day. So and your my- your plan was just to try to... Let, let's 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 stop and just rewind a little bit. You were you had you had tried to make it as a cyclist 
before and it sounds like it didn't necessarily work. And then at some point you just make this journey across America and you end up at the Century Road Club. So, like, right. let's let's talk about how that happened. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, San Diego was um, uh, it was a pretty wild and crazy place. And um, and I got people say, well, how did you get involved in cycling? And I was about 26 or 27. Uh, and I got too many speeding tickets with my red Austin Healy. And that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> I, I went before the judge and he said, you know, we're going to take your license away for two weeks. And if you come back here again, uh, anytime in the next year, you, you know, you're never going to see your license again. And at the time, you know, it was like 19, uh, it was, I was just a hippie on the beach and, if you had a California driver's license with your picture on it and a, and an address, you weren't going to get thrown in jail. You could cash a check. That was like a credit card. So hmm. when you're loitering on the beach at 4 a.m. and the cops come out to check IDs and you show them your California license and you live right down the street and the kid from Ohio takes out a fold-out license with no picture, he's going to jail, and you're not. <laughs> so I knew how important that license was. I said, you know, you're living right on the brink here. This right. license is the only thing between civilization and you just disappearing, and you better you better hang on to it. So uh, I, I sold the Austin Healey and bought a $110 Raleigh Supercourse, and saved both the receipts of the sale and, and the purchase. And when I went back in two weeks, I showed the judge, you know, that I had a bicycle and I'd sold the car. And he said, okay, you know, I still better not see you for another year regardless. So that's how I started riding a bike. And, All right. uh, and, and it became an escape vehicle because I lived in South Mission Beach uh, you had to ride quite a ways to get out into the country. You had to ride all the way up to La Jolla by the Scripps Institute and by University of California at San Diego, which was a brand new campus at the time, and then down the hill into Del Mar. And, you know, it was all just two lane highway all the way up to, you know, up to Oceanside, Route 1. Route mm -hmm. one. And then you could hear yourself think, you could hear birds, you could smell flowers. But, uh, you know, so it became an escape vehicle for me and a fitness thing. And, uh, uh, and I would, and I was riding to work. I was a laborer. I was trying to keep ahead of six or seven carpenters, uh, laying out two by fours. And then I would, I would ride the long way home and I started really getting into it. And every now and then I'd see these racer type guys with, you know, the black shoes and the white socks. And they all had these white Raleigh bikes at the time. It was before the Raleigh pro came out. And I get a glimpse of them. I'm there. Well, who are those guys? They're going fast. And, you know, I, I didn't know what that was all about, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually I would I, I would catch up to them or they would be going my way. And they would, you know, after about a year, I'd start seeing them. One of them said to me, well, you ought to come out for the uh, the AYH every the first Sunday of every month. The AYH has a time trial on Shelter Island. And it's a 10 mile time trial and it's flat and it's smooth and it's it's like two miles per lap and you don't have to slow down and I knew that I knew the neighborhood he said you ought to show up for that and see how you do so for me I stayed in on a Saturday night for the first time in my life right <laughs> <laughs> like, and uh and I was like wow and I showed up 
with my Raleigh super course and, um, you know, no riding shorts, no riding jersey, nothing. And you didn't need a helmet in those days. And I beat a couple of the kids, you know, on their fancy bikes with the black shoes and the white socks. And they were pissed, you know, Yeah. because uh, I mean, I, I didn't look really that good, you know, and um, with the beard and the long hair and uh, the hairy legs. And uh, so that that got me peaked. And then I started thinking, you know, and, and one thing led to another and I ended up selling that bike and uh, and getting, you know, borrowing the money from somebody to buy another bike. And of course, meanwhile, my friends, the hippie friends and, and the rugby club I was a member of, they were just like, what are you doing? Nobody pays $300 for a bicycle. <laughs> and uh, so the mistake I made was I was such a nonconformist and independent that I didn't join the San Diego Bike Club. Gotcha. Which would have been the smart thing to do. <laughs> so instead, I, I, I make the rugby club sponsor me and uh, get licensed, and I ride, I'm the only rider on the team, and I, you know, and I show up with my one jersey, and of course, the San Diego Bike Club guys, I go to their meetings, they're, they're somewhat friendly, but at the same time, they're going, you know, you're in another club, we, you know, you're going to take places <laughs> away from us. Right. So they didn't, they didn't really, like, you know, it was kind of, you'd go on group rides, you were part of them, but you weren't on race day, they were like, what are you doing? You're chasing us down, and I didn't even know what that was. You know? Right, right. So anyway, that was my experience in San Diego. Uh, I, I would I would get pretty fit and uh, go for group rides, and and I uh, I started out as a novice, and I I got second place, second place, and fourth place, and they moved me up to senior B, which is like category three now, I guess you know. And and I was in over my head, and I raced some Pan Am selection races, and just didn't have a clue. I mean. You know, <laughs> I mean. They don't let guys looking like me in races like that anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and uh, I mean, I remember just, and the San Diego Bike Club was dead on serious. They had some national champions. They had guys that were on the Pan Ams before. I mean, they had a history and they, they had a sponsor and, you know, they were pretty serious. Audrey McElmurray, the world's champ, w was on that team and I did training rides with her. Wow. And, and and they would take me out in the woods and I'd get dropped and it would take me forever to get home. I didn't know where <laughs> I was, you know. So anyway, two years of trying and it just didn't work out. And I finally, I just wanted to make a statement with my bike, you know. Yeah. I, I And so I said, well, the racing thing isn't working and I was frustrated by it. And I said, but I could ride my bike across the United States. And so I got another guy who was more mechanically oriented than I was. And it was a hippie too, and uh, a good guy and a strong rider, but never raced. And Skip and I, we made a plan. It was like maybe March when we decided to go. And we said, we're going to leave by July 1st. And, you know, he had some schooling and some things to do. And we made our own pannier bags. And, uh, we, you know, he helped lace up some wheels and we did a budget and, you know, we trained and, and we left on July 1st. And that and, you know, we were just going to ride across the country and I didn't have any plans after that. You know, I didn't yeah. think beyond that. <laughs> but I uh, but as we got into it and we, we were doing like 100 miles a day and it was it was 120 degrees. I mean, there was times we left July 4, July oh my 1st, God. like, you know, right out into the desert. We went up to 4,000 <laughs> feet in, in Julian and then we dropped right down below sea level in the Salton Sea. And uh 
And there were times we were putting rocks in on, under our tongues uh, to keep our saliva glands. Oh going. my god! <laughs> so we went through all that. We had we had broken spokes and derailers, and and we just fixed everything. And but there were times when I would say to myself, you know, if you get across the United States riding like this, you're going to have to be a good bike racer because you're just going to be so strong. You know, yeah. and so at, this affirmation slowly started creeping into me. If you finish this ride, you're going to be a, you're going to be good. You you know you you're going to overcome whatever it is that stopped you. And I, that just kept running through my head. And Skip, when we got to Sault Ste. Marie, or no, we got to Iron Mountain, Michigan. Skip's Peace Corps application, which I knew was hanging, uh, got approved, and he had to turn around and ride down to. Uh, Green Bay and get a flight home or something. And I continued on alone. And that's when I really began that affirmation. Like if I can just live through this and it was dangerous out there. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I rode into Canada and then I rode from Sault Ste. Marie to, uh, um, Ottawa and, um, Jesus, that was the Trans-Canadian Highway was two lanes. And I mean, those campers were coming right at you. They, they would just run you off the road. And uh, uh, I finally got to Montreal and I realized they're speaking a different language. You've written so far that people are speaking, you know, you don't have any more paps left and they're speaking funny. So I, uh, and I, would, so I, I actually had a place to stay in Montreal and I, my bike was just, I would, you know, I was horrendous and the bike was trashed. So I went into a bike shop. I mean, it's the first bike shop. Okay. This is like 45 days I'd been without being in a bike shop. And I go into this bike shop and, uh, and it's an old Italian bike shop and the pros are in there and they're talking about this race and they realize, and they look at me like, and I'm there, well, there's a race and they're going, yeah, it's a big race. It starts this Saturday and it, you know, it goes from Quebec city to Montreal. It's like a 172 mile race. <laughs> so I'm going, wow, a really long flat bike race. I mean, that's, you know, I'm probably ready for that, you know? And meanwhile, Giuseppe, uh, Oh God, I can't, it was in there. And he's like a stage winner and the Giro is in the shop. So they fixed my bike and, and, and they were just appalled, but they did. And uh, it took me two days to ride the course that I was going to race in one day. Wow. So I slept in the middle of it on a park, on a picnic bench and I rode into Quebec and then I knew, you know, this is like being in France. I mean, it's a walled city. Everybody's speaking French. So I got there and of course I had to party my brains out because I had, I was here, you know, and then I took a day of recovery, and then I went down to the starting line of Quebec, Montreal. And I mean, this is this is a pretty infamous moment in my life. I show up, I get out my special Old Mission Beach Athletic Club jersey. I hadn't worn it. I got it out, you know, and uh, and I went to the starting line. Now it's in front of the Hotel Frontenac, and this race has got a history. And it's got a, it's got like giving away an automobile or, you know, something big for a prize. And so all the East Coast riders in the Northeast, they're all there. All the best riders in Quebec and, you know, in Canada are there. And uh, a lot of the guys from Century Road Club, guys I would become close friends with. But at the moment, I'm, I go up to the starting line and I got to get somebody 
to take my pannier bags and my pleasure rack to the finish line, right? Uh-huh. And uh, I walk up to Jimmy Hutter, and he's the prima donna of all prima donnas. He has, he's got a Schwinn that says Munich Olympics on it. He has just been cut, the last cut they made for the Olympic team to go to Munich. And, and he's, he's got a handler with him, and I go up to him of all people. Anyway, Jimmy, can I, uh, my name's Humphreys. I just wrote in from San Diego. Can, do you have a wrench and I could borrow so I could take off my Pletcher Rock, and could you take it to the finish line? Uh, he was appalled. I was going to say, what did he, he, what did he say? He was like, get away from me. You're, you know, the, I had a, anyway, I, the bike was trashed. He got a buddy to, that helps him. I rode the race. I finished an hour behind everybody. Jimmy got like second or third. Doug Dale was second. And I, wow. and I but in the course of that race, I got dropped and then I got back on. Now that had never happened to me before. Right. And I'm in the back of the group screaming and yelling like, wow, I'm back, I'm back. And meanwhile, everybody's looking at me like, obviously we have to go faster. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, that was my introduction to East Coast racing. And um, and guys were trying to help me. I remember Alan, guys that I would become close with uh, were in team cars saying, when I got dropped, do you need a sandwich? Do you need food? What are, you, are you all set? Because they were leaving. Right. So I, I never experienced any of that. And uh, one thing led to another. I, I, I ended up spending the winter in Vermont being a, I rode a couple races in the sprint in that fall. Mm-hmm. And I was always in the action, uh, placing in the top six or seven, just because I was so strong, still didn't know the sport that well, um, and was so fired up because I could finally finish in the group and guys were taking me seriously in, in, in three races I rode. Uh, and then the winter came and I, I learned how to cross country ski. I, uh, I saved my money waiting tables and I was going to Europe. I, in the next, you know, I was saving my money and I, and I saved my money, and I and I left Sugarbush. Everybody, I got I got a haircut, which was a huge deal. <laughs> and uh, and I said goodbye to all the ski bums in Sugarbush, and said I'm going to Europe to race bikes. And and I just had, and I got to East Hartford to my parents' house, and I was going to get on an Icelandic flight the next day when a membership card to the Century Road Club of America came in the mail because I had joined this club. Somebody told me this is the best club to join. I didn't know too many people in it, but, and Dave Chawner's name was on it. And I had read one magazine at, at where David raced in Holland. Mm -hmm. I still don't have a place to stay when I get off the plane in, in, in Luxembourg. Hmm. I'm just going. So I called Dave and he goes, who are you? What are you talking about? When are you leaving? How many miles do you have in your legs? How much expect Dave just says, you better not go. <laughs> He said, if you go over there now in March with no let, no racing yeah. miles in your legs, you're going to come home and never ride a bike again. They're going to kick your ass 10 times. From, he said, it took me four weeks before I could finish with the main field. And he's an Olympic guy. So wow. I changed. I cha you know, I had to suck it up. I canceled the flight. He said, meet me in Central Park, uh, the Central Park series. I'll give you a ride to Princeton. You can get a room there. Save your money. Spend your money. Maybe by June, you'll be fit enough to go to Europe then, but don't go now. So I had to suck it up. I said, I wasn't going to Europe to smoke dope and backpack around. I was going there to be a bike, bike racer. 
And by the way, I was going with the wrong size bike, one set of wheels, <laughs> you know, no tires, nothing, you know, and that's how, anyway, so I went to Princeton and I, I hated to tell my friends in Vermont, uh, I'm not in Europe, I'm in New Jersey. I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> but that's how I got started. And one, and that was this, that was the most critical decision I ever made. And, and, uh, Dave knows it. And, uh, you know, I met the old man down there and who runs the show, Fritz Kuhn, and he just looked at me and said, well, if you get a haircut, you know, we can talk to you about training. And I didn't dare tell him I would just gotten one, you know. <laughs> so that's where I got my start. That's where I learned how to bike race in New Jersey and not in San Diego. Right. And I just went about the business of reading the Coney book, getting a little and staying in my little room, getting a couple part time jobs. The same thing you would do if you were in Europe. You would work part time. You know, you'd be in a little rooming house. You know, only I had the luxury of being in America. And uh, I slowly made my way on to what was the Raleigh, the Century Road Club A team and gotcha. the list of stars. And I worked my way up as an alternate for a stage race back in Canada. Yep. And I, all of a sudden I finished the stage race and, and believe me, the Raleigh, that's when we first put on Raleigh jerseys. It was June and the sponsorship had finally come through and we were able to wear the Raleigh jersey and we did it in that six day race in Canada. And I finished 20th and I was learning, I was riding team. I mean, that's what my job was. I was yep. learning how to ride team. And, um, and when I came back from that, uh, you know, then we rode the big criteriums and went to Super Week and went to the Nationals. And um, uh, long story short, I'm back. I'm, I'm finally back. I'm at the Nationals in Milwaukee and the and the, the San Diego Bike Club guys are there and they, they're looking at me like, is that the hippie? <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I'm, I'm shaved legged. I've lost, you know, a million pounds. Um <clears throat> I got a Chinelli. I'm wearing a Raleigh jersey. Uh, I'm riding with John Howard, John Alice, Bobby Phillips, Dave Chawner, and the list goes on. And they're looking at me like, how can that be? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and in the Nationals, I was actually in the break for a while. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I rode really well and ended up like 14th or something. But I was like the fourth Raleigh guy. Mm -hmm. So we get back to the dorm. And Fritz, the old man, comes up to me. He says, well, you know, great ride. You were, you were the fourth guy on the club to finish. John Howard won. We had this many guys in the top ten. And you're going to the Tour of Ireland. I said, where? He goes, yeah, you're going to the Tour of Ireland. That was the first time I even knew we about the race. Wow. And how much time did you have? At, when well, was we it? About, we had about two weeks. And, okay. Um, and uh, he said, you get in the van with Alice and... Uh, and you know the famous VW van, and you go back to Boston, and you train with John, and you guys are going to leave from Boston in two weeks, and everything's paid for, and you know, and so here I am with the two most prolific cyclists of our era, you know, John Howard and John mm -hmm. Allen. There's five Olympic teams between them, and uh, and me and one other guy who's been racing for a hundred years, and I'm in with them, and we're you know, off we go to Ireland now. You know, I, I'm just uh, overwhelmed, but I'm there, and um, they don't give us a chance, you know. Yeah. You know, Phil Liggett's interviewing us and uh, for over breakfast, and uh, 
he's asking John Howard, like, well, how many races do you win? And John says, I win 50% of the races I enter, <laughs> you know, which just, <laughs> that doesn't happen anywhere in the world, you know. <laughs> and he asked me what my forte was after talking to him and Allison, and I just, I didn't have anything to say. And what's your specialty, Bill? I just was like, uh, I got nothing, you know. <laughs> I, I couldn't even respond, and those guys filled in the blanks for me, but, I mean, it was just... Did they uh, use the word domestique at that time? Yeah, oh, yeah. And, okay. and you know, that Bill's a worker. He's here to help us. He's steady. He finishes. You know, that type of thing is all they had, you know, yeah. to talk about me. So, I mean, Ireland, I how was Ireland? Like, what was it like to, to, to be that first powerhouse American team well, there? We, you know, it was it was it was a lot of publicity about the race. There was a Dutch team, a French team, and uh, an all Ireland team. Uh, the Kirkby Liverpool team in England was the same team as us. They were like the national team, but they were sponsored by Kirkby. Um, this Kirkby club. I don't even think they were sponsored. They were just a powerhouse team that was like the national team, very similar to us. But they raced on the continent, and they were prepping for the worlds. And they had ridden the Tour of Ireland a couple of times. And, you know, we just uh, were an unknown element. Uh, Stan Swain uh, was with us. He was he was like much, he was old. We were all late 20s and Stan was like maybe 38. And he got taken down by a dog and had stitches oh. in his knee. And people are thinking, is he going to start? He's full of antibiotics. And, you know, they weren't giving us, you know, any, any chance at all. So, uh and, you know, we didn't, you know, you didn't get to preview the courses. You didn't, you know, you huh. had a map, you had, you studied the map, <laughs> you know, you didn't know the hills, how bad they were. You didn't know the gearing all the time. Um, you didn't know where the finish line was. You know, you'd come into these little villages and, and do a roundabout and go right out the other end, like the Tour de France, only tiny villages. And, if you know, you could, you could get lost or make a wrong turn or crash. I mean, it was, and it was. So it was intense, and uh, we got through it, and and Phil Liggett was the commissar, and he was out of the car window every day, out of the uh, the roof, the open window on the roof, and uh, overseeing everything, and I was getting stronger some days. Some days I was able to hang in there, and other days, you know, and then finally one day, uh, the second to last day of this thing, and uh, I mean... <laughs> Alice Howard says, Bill, you got it. We got to get some action. We got to get those Kirkby guys working. So you got to, you got to do something. So I just went to the front, you know, I mean, I was toast, but I went to the front and I went away and it turns out there was two Irish guys away and I bridged two minutes up to them. And like an idiot, I, I started coming through right away. So they're mm -hmm. looking at who's this guy that just bridged two minutes and now he's coming through. So they're going, well, we're not going to work with this guy because he's way too strong. And I don't know this, you know. Yeah. And Albert Hitchin, who is a, a former pro and he's he, and he's been assigned to oversee us, but he also is doing neutral support in, in this really sharp Raleigh team car. He's driving and he's trying to coach me, trying to tell me, Bill, stop it. You're going to, you know, <laughs> got an official in the front seat that's not letting him coach me. And he's just dying because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm blowing it. And uh, and these guys are feeding from a car 
and uh, and you know I don't know where the finish is and uh, I, I kept saying if I knew the course and there was one hill I would just jam it and go away but I you know I know it's ten miles I know it's eight miles that's all I know yeah I don't know we're gonna run out of hills you know I don't know it's flat for the last five miles that I can't I'll never get away if I don't get away right now you know I don't know all this stuff anyway uh, you saw the video <laughs> those guys come around me and I get third and. I looked at that Irishman putting up his hands and I just said, holy shit. <laughs> oh, I mean, look how close you came yep. as a domestique uh, to winning a stage in this thing. How we'd won a stage. John was, they were third and fifth. This was your moment. And, uh, you know, but what was really amazing was that night at dinner and, and, and getting back to the team car in the hotel the number of riders that you'd been riding against for like seven days. You didn't know everybody's name, of course not, or, you know, but the number of riders that came up to shake your, my hand and say, great ride. Cause they knew they had seen me and the bunch, yeah. they'd be off the back. You know, we've been through hell, all of us. And, uh, the number of guys that just genuinely searched me out and said, way to go. And I mean, uh, it was, I just thought of that the other day. I just re was reminded of that the other day that, uh, that, you know, everybody was in it together, but boy, they were just happy as hell for me. And that was, you know, I had arrived at that point, you know? Yeah. So, that's yeah, that's awesome. And, and, and it led to South Africa, right? Like, well, you know, what, here's the deal. We, we finished up the next day and, uh, Raleigh actually flew us over to England and we got a tour of the factory and they oh, rebuilt cool. our bikes and I was on a Chinelli and they, why is this guy on a Chinelli <laughs> on a Raleigh? You know, and, uh, and then we flew, the three of us flew to the world's championships in Barcelona, Spain. Cool. And I'm going, you know, I wanted to drink some beer and chase some women in Ireland. <laughs> and I'm going, now I got to go train with these two guys and, you know, in Spain. And that's what happened. We went there and I'm training. I mean, to get out of Barcelona, you got to go up, you know, about six <laughs> miles a mile just to get out of town. And these are the two best climbers in the history of the sport for America. Anyway, uh, I went through training with them for a few days. Finally, I just said, you know, I, I can't. I was mentally about ready to fall apart. You know, yeah, I said, yeah. how many guys that I, here I am my first serious year on the sport and there's so many aces on this club and you have worked your way here. There are guys who have ridden a lifetime in America, Doug mm -hmm. Neal, you could name them all, who have never, ever ridden the world's championships. And you and your first year, you got to ride this. So mentally I held myself together and uh, it was a shame uh, that there was a horrendous crash in the first 12 miles that took down Alice and Howie and mm. had nothing to do with they were in a bad position. I mean, I, we're talking 35 guys went down easily. Yeah. And, and I was right there and I had to hit the brakes and almost go over the bars. And Alice was tugging on his bike and John was crawling off the road with no shoes on. <laughs> and... and and I got by it, but, you know, I didn't know how to ride without them. Right. All of a sudden, you know, I'm going, wait, I don't know. Those are my men. I'm not, I don't know how to ride without them. So I'm kind of going slow, waiting for Alice. And meanwhile, the field, the other, the front half of the field, just the, the adrenaline rush, they just disappeared. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. You know, 
I was with Czechs, Poles, and a couple Mexicans and a couple Canadians, and we were killing ourselves and losing like five minutes every 11 miles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys were pulling off the road, hiding, hiding in the bushes, and not, <laughs> not wanting their coaches to see them. I mean, the race was over so quickly. But that was the that was the purpose to show that we were competitive and that we could actually get results by riding stage races before you ride the world championships. Now, I'll tell you, John Howard was very, very confident. John Alice was very confident. They had never been this prepared for the worlds or right. even the Olympics. Okay. And I know that those two guys would have been in the top 50, top 20. Yeah. Top you know, there's no question that, that Howie could have been in the top 20 and Alice could have been in the top 30. No question. And I, I, I could have finished. You know, there's no doubt about that. But luck would have it, the race was over. You know. So, so flash forward, the whole team flies home the next day. I'm going, the bike guy is not flying home. <laughs> <laughs> my guy is gonna is gonna go get crazy in Spain. I am I am in Spain. What are you shitting me? <laughs> go home. I don't have to race a bike anymore. What are you got to be kidding me? And I just changed my ticket, uh, which you could do easily enough, and got like ten extra days. And I went out to Ibiza. You know, I took the ferry out to Ibiza. And just, just partied and rode my bike until I said, "Oh, I'm tired of this," and you know, and then yeah. I flew home. But. The thing about the difference, uh, the difference there was, you know, nobody knew what I had gone through uh, from, you know, and I can, I've got my training diary from that, you know, like you're having breakfast with, with Phil Liggett. One year previous, I looked at my notes from my ride across America and I was on the side of the road. Like I was in a small bike shop in, in Burlington cleaning my bottom bracket. And one year later, one year later to the day, I'm having breakfast with Phil Liggett in Ireland. Wow. You know, the mental uh, yeah. <laughs> approach to So I get off the plane. There's nobody to greet me. You know, there's nobody to say, hey, we got a decompression bill. You know, we got to right. help them here. And, and I just go, where are the women? Where are the where's the tequila? Where's, <laughs> where's the heart of Saturday night? Uh, you know, just let me loose, you know, and. Five months later, uh, you know, it was time to sober up and get back on the bike again. But I was like at 220 pounds. And, you know, <laughs> I was right back where I started. <laughs> so anyway, that was my first year racing a bike, you know. that That's just I mean, we could we could talk for days because it's you, you and. It will, we might have to do a part two to all this because it's you've lived li- literally a legendary, uh, yeah, a legendary existence. What did I say? What did I say? It, it's been a, um, it's been a John Hyatt type life, you know. If you oh my god, I just saw John Hyatt with Lyle Lovett. Um, yeah, I, I saw just, them too, and they uh, very good, right? Yes, it is a John Hyatt kind of life. Yeah, that's, that's a, the kind of life. I mean, I haven't. You know, I mean, I, that's the life I've lived between being a, a international level athlete. I, I was, you know, I lived that life as well. But anyway, um, so that was Ireland. Uh, that that night in uh, after the world, uh, the going down to downtown Barcelona, finding the boulevard and looking and seeing the bars and out on the patio in the middle of the boulevard, there was the Irish team. I said, there it is. Now we can really get it on. <laughs> so, 
they were such great guys and they knew me, you know, and they all came over. We just drank. I ended up spending the night in their barracks and their dormitory. And, uh, you know, I had an, uh, I had a connection with all those guys. And then I got to, uh, to ride the race again. Well, you know, and so I'll, I'll, I'll go with that again. I, uh, an interesting story is that, um, I went back to Sugarbush the next year and I said, you know, you know, you got, you got to be careful. You can't get crazy again. You got to, you can't get crazy. You got to be careful. And, uh, and I ended up going to San Diego for the winter and mm-hmm. returning to San Diego. And now to ride, uh, it's like Venice beach. Okay. And to have been a hippie there for two years and get on a bike and ride out of there, make the U S team race in Europe and then go back to go training in the winter. So I could be ready for a Pan Am year right. and be ready early and to ride up and down the beach sidewalk on my bike with a USA jersey on and look out on the beach and they and say, there I was just, you know, partying my brains out and here I am. Look what I've, look what I've done. It was yeah. just mind boggling. Um, uh, and then I got this, I was there to train. I got a great little job. I was training with the San Diego Bike Club. I was the guest speaker at their banquet, and I showed the video, the Tour of Ireland, and they mm-hmm. just, you know, what, you know, how do you, how do you describe that, you know? Uh, the hippie's back, and he's going to show us how he rode the world. <laughs> Christ, you know. Uh, but I took that trip. I got a letter saying, Bill, you know, you're fit. We got an invitation to ride, the, uh, ride a, a race in South Africa, and it's in March, and it's the club. See, the club got the invitation, not the uh-huh. federation. So Fritz said, you know, I know you're out there and you're fit. And the other guy that's fit is Dickie Dunn. And, you know, if nobody else wants to go, you're the most fit. Do you want to go? I'm going, are you kidding me? South Africa? Do I want to go? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all paid for. Yeah, you just got to get to New York City and it's paid for round trip. And I said, count me in. So I, I trained uh, <clears throat> made my own press release and sent it into Velo News, right? Velo News came out. It was in Velo News. I've, uh, I've quit my job that I just got. The unemployment rate was like 9%. Nobody could believe I just got this great job with a van delivering aquariums and I was quitting. <laughs> and, and the owner of the company looked at me and says, where are you going? You, you know, I picked you out of 80 guys who were applying. You've been here four weeks. You're quitting. You're going where? You're a bike racer. You're going to South Africa. Well, what the fuck? He goes, <laughs> like, what are you going to do when you come back? I said, yeah, like I'm almost thinking that far ahead. You know, <laughs> Like, I can almost think that far. What are you, nuts? I'm going to South Africa. Who knows if I'll come home, you know? So uh, I did go, and uh, and then the night before I'm leaving, I get a call from Ernie Subert, the head of the Federation, saying, Bill, you know, you, you really shouldn't go because they're not part of the UCI. They have an apartheid policy, and anybody right. that goes there is going against all the Olympic movement and, and, and gets, you know, gets penalized for going there. No athletes go there for that reason. And I said, Ernie, it's been in Velo News for a week. Right. I didn't know that. You don't know that. What's going to happen to me? I don't know yet, Bill. We have to meet. Well, I'm getting on the plane. I'm sorry. I've been training. Yeah. You're telling me the night before. Now nah, I'm getting on the plane. So I meet Dickie. 
he's gotten the same phone call. We meet in, uh, in JFK. And, uh, meanwhile, I have to go back to the old rugby club and ask him for, uh, ask them for money for the red eye in New York city. They're looking at me like you were just hippie and you rode out of here on your, on your back. And now you're going to go to South Africa. They were like, I was like a legendary hero to them. They had never seen anything like this. They said, here's a hundred bucks, but this is the last time, guy. You both grown, okay? Don't come back and hit us for any more money. Here's a hundred bucks. And the red eye was only a hundred bucks. Wow. So we get to South Africa and, uh, and they still don't know back in the States what they're going to do to us. I said, well, that's it. We've done our best. The, the promoters of the race are aware that we're liable to get, they're not trying to hoodwink us. They know that we're liable to get suspended. Right. They treat us like kings because they know that. And Dickie and I are there to race. And it's a four-day race, two stages a day uh, in the mountains around Cape Town. It's put on by the Wine Cooperative. Mm -hmm. uh, they have all these babes uh, that teach us how to use, how to drink wine, how to use all the silver. I mean, it's fine dining at all the stage dinners. So they're there to help teach us how to use the knives and forks, okay? at the setting and uh and, and meanwhile dickie is really strong and we're training in the mountains with two italians and dickie's killing them and you have to ride on the other side of the road and you're in switchbacks and oh you yeah to, you know and we're up there and there's baboons and we're and we're going over these mountains and we're killing them and a car comes around the corner and we're on the wrong side of the road and dickie gets hit and just about killed right next to me wow and uh, we have to, and it's a black guy, and of course he's shitting a brick, you know, that he's hit a white person, and he doesn't even know it's an international act incident. And we put Dickie in the back of his pickup truck, and we drive forever down the mountain to some little village, and he, you know, and he gets into, the, we get into this little hospital, he's broken a patella, a collarbone, and an ankle, you know, uh, and, he, and, uh, and by this time, the, the the race director has found me and the word's gotten out and uh Dickie Dickie gets in a private ambulance and taken to Cape Town and uh and I get taken home and and I train and, and, and you know Dickie's I get there just in time for him to go into surgery and I go up to the to the uh to the anesthesiologist and the surgeon and I just go you guys, this is a young man who has a hell of a future. I'm older rider. This is this kid's got a future. You got to do him right. He has got to race again. He was capable of winning this race. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, that was so emotional. And and, uh, and then I had to go ride the four day stage race alone. And all the riders, you know, everybody in South Africa knew about this accident. You know, I mean, yeah. it was an international incident and they had the best hospital and the best surgeon. I mean, this is the first heart transplant had been done in the same hospital. OK. So anyway, I rode the race um, and uh, it was so well done and it was brutal. The first day I, I, I overextended myself. I got most aggressive rider. The next day I was toast in the morning. I finished. 20 minutes back um and i said i'm just sitting in the next it was two stages and i just meditated changed my cassette or my freewheel and i said you know you got to just sit in you know you got two more days you got a bunch of stages here and 
I studied the finish line and I knew the finish line just on this map. I said, there's a turn and then there's, there's one kilometer straight down the boulevard to the finish in this town. Mm-hmm. I just remembered that. And it was a second stage. And son of a bitch, if I just didn't break away and get bridge a gap and was up there in the front. And we had 100K to go. And I stayed away. And it was, you know, we stayed away. And it was an Italian, a Rhodesian, a Frenchman, and a South African. It was a totally international breakaway. And I, and I won the stage. <laughs> And there was like 10,000 people there. I mean, it was just, and it was Dickie's birthday. Wow. And, uh, you know, uh, for me, it was just unbelievable. Uh, I have the pictures toasting the crowd, riding up and down the street with this goblet of wine that that town is known for. And I tried to keep the goblet, but the mayor, she said, no, that goblet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that night we had a banquet every night. We had dinner out for the whole, you know, stage area. So it was like 80 of us. So we had, we all had dinner. And that night I sat at the head table and, uh, and they did the awards. And then I, I got up to speak and, uh, everybody knew, you know, it was, uh, it was Dickie's birthday. Yeah. uh, The whole room got up with a glass and they all, (laughs) I still get joked up, you know, and they just toasted, here's to your partner. Wow. You know, it was. <laughs> oh. So that was, you know, that was, uh, we finished the race and um, and I got to be a speaker at the banquet. I mean, it was so plush and, and so well done. And there was black guys in the race. The Bantu tribe was there and they were staying in the same hotels. They were trying to show that, you know, we've come a long way and, and that sport is international and we do have black people in this. They were trying, you know. Yeah, to, to yeah. Make but at any rate, uh, Dickie, they let me stay another – you stay as long as you want, Bill. You know, if Dickie's going to be here for a long time. You stay as long as you want. I stayed – like 10 or 12 extra days and they put me up in a re- beautiful hotel right on the water in, in Cape Town and uh, I went and saw Dickie every day and I rode and of course drank a lot of wine and you know and just uh, finally I decided it was time to go home and I still didn't know about the suspension you know when it was right, over right. still tell me so uh, I finally left Dickie and came back and uh and he was getting around in a wheelchair, but he, he had a, his patella tendon was stitched up and his, uh, his shoulder, I forget his ankle, you know, he was, he had a ways to go. And yeah. um, I came home and, and, uh, uh, Dickie came home much later and I was racing, you know, in North Carolina and calling him on the phone and visiting his parents and bringing his car back to him. And, and he came home, uh, and started training and, you know, and I didn't see much of him. And finally we showed up at the nationals together. And this is, this is the summer of 75. And, you know, I'm like, I don't know, 31 or something at this point. I don't know. And, uh, 32, 31. And, uh, and, uh, Dickie's riding this, we're at super week, but Dickie has to ride the B races kind of, he couldn't ride the main trials type races. Mm-hmm. He, he just didn't have the form yet and he was still a little bit nervous and uh, but he was coming around and, and the fact that he was there and racing was amazing 
And uh, he rode the national road race, though. He was able to, you know, ride that. And when it was over, I finished, you know, my usual, you know, 14th or something. And uh, and uh, and we had a bunch of guys on our team. Howard Howard won it again. And, and Alice was up there and Dave Ball and a bunch of guys on the team were. And Fritz comes up to me afterwards and says, you know, those guys got selected to the Pan Am team. And Butch doesn't want Dave Bowler or, 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 or Howie going off to Ireland. He, he's got a special training program, so they can't go. So you, you get to go back to the Tour of Ireland. I said, no way. Wow. I, I get to go back, and this time there's no pressure. I don't have to go off to the world afterwards. Uh-huh. And Dickie got selected. And so, I mean, it was just unbelievable to go back to Ireland and – and and Dickie and I are unpacking, and I'm going, who in the world would have given you any chance that we would both be in Ireland after leaving you on the side of the road in Cape Town? Right. That here we are in Ireland unpacking our bags. I mean, this is an incredible comeback, kid. I said, you know, it's just amazing. And uh, <clears throat> meanwhile, here's the real part of the story. Meanwhile, the magazines the, the, that covered the race in South Africa – the English Cycling News or whatever, a pretty famous mag at the time, didn't come out until like June right. or July covering the South African race. So now all the guys in Ireland, everybody at the Tour of Ireland thinks I'm a rock star because I want a stage down there, see? <laughs> and it's covered in the magazine, the only right. magazine, right? So they're like, oh, that's the guy. And, you know, and there's guys coming up to me and wanting me to go with them to Poland and ride the peace race and shit. And I'm going, Jesus Christ, you know. And then and 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 Sean Kelly's like 17 years old. Right. <laughs> and he's right. And Pat McQuaid, who's you know going to be the UCI president and, and his whole brothers and his whole clan and and Alan McCormick and all these guys are going, yeah, tell me about that race. And I'm supposed to go back. There's a huge race from. Cape Town to Johannesburg in the fall, and I am the team captain, and I'm supposed to go back and bring seven guys with me. And Ernie Subert's like, if you go, you're never coming back. You know, you're never going to race again. Yeah, and I'm still thinking, and I'm still thinking. Well, I'm old enough. I'm not making any more U.S. teams. What you know, I'm I might still go. You know, and I'm at, and all these Irishmen want to know, and I'm there. You're going to get suspended. Sean Kelly, you're 17. You go down there, you're going to get suspended. And, oh, we, and everybody wants to ride a stage race. When you're an amateur at that time, if you could ride a stage race, that was the best training in the world. You could come home and kill people. Right, right. You know, and, and so you did anything to get into a stage race. And if it got, if it got, if your expenses were paid and there was any money in it, you know, I mean, you came home fit and you had money and your bike was in good shape. I mean, it was just what you had to do. And the Irish guys were very similar to us in that, you know, they raced in their own island. They raced in England. And a few of them took little jaunts over to the continent and came back, you know, and so forth. But and I and I I told them and they would knock on my room at night and I'd say, OK, finally, I said, here's the guy's name. Here's the So they go. And I decide and I decide after the tour of Ireland the second time, I extend my ticket and just go ride around Ireland with a backpack on. It was the most beautiful thing to do you know so and so let's let's uh let's say because i want i want to like ireland keeps coming up and it's got this real special place in your very iconic career right so right um you're you're about to this is how many years later you're about to turn 75 
Yes. So, and what are we going to do? I, I see that you sent me that you have this remarkable tour of Ireland reunion coming up. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, and it, are you trying to corral all these people back to yeah, all these people? I, uh, thanks to Facebook, uh, I'm, I'm going to have a bunch of Irishmen from, from back in the day uh, come and just ride ride with us for five or six days. Wow. So yeah. that's in that's in July? No, it's August 4th through the 9th. Oh, okay, August 4th through the 9th. Through the 10th, yeah. Uh, I, you know, so I got to ride the Tour of Lyon twice, go ride around the countryside afterwards, ride a little local race afterwards. Uh-huh. These, these rock stars go down to South Africa under phony names, <laughs> right? And their picture gets in the paper and everybody goes, no, that's not them. That's that. And they got suspended. So like Sean Kelly never rode the Olympics in Montreal, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> and Pat McQuaid, the UCI president and a great rider, you know, he, he never got. So none of those guys got to ride the Olympics. They all got suspended. So we have this affinity, you know, and, and uh, yeah. And now that the Internet and now Facebook and I found these Irish guys and they're all busting my chops for still losing that sprint, you know, and uh, <laughs> And I've been over to Europe a couple of times and run into McQuaid and they've all been, you know, we've had beers and just joked about it. But uh, so I, I'm thinking, OK, I, I'm going to be 75. I'm, you know, the way my life has turned out, you know, you got to pay the fiddler for all the fun you had. So you're working so you don't get to fly off to Ireland like, you know, all your pals that, you know, were smart enough to get out of the game and go get a life before uh, life <laughs> caught up with them. They're all, you know, going on vacations here and there and posting everything. Well, you can't go anywhere. So if you're ever going to go back, it's your 75th birthday. You better put together a package and go. Yep. Come hell or high water, you're 75. You're an idiot if you don't go somewhere. And that's the place to go. And see if you can get all these guys together and grab some of your teammates and just go for a week. And that was my vision about a year and a half ago. And it's coming to, it's coming to fruition. I've been working on it for a year and a half. And this is, um, it's, you, you're, you're rallying the Raleigh boys and these, the, the guys from Ireland, but is it, a, it's open like anybody who is a, uh, a cycling how I, fan how person? I couch it, how, how I've couched it to, to them is, Anybody who ever wrote it or worked on it, and it's, you know, the Tour of Ireland from the years 1971 to 1984. Uh-huh. You know, anybody that wrote, and that's how long that race lasted. Raleigh stayed with it as a sponsor for a long time, and then it finally just went away. Gotcha. But I said, anybody that wrote it or worked on it, uh, feel free to join us. If you can't make it for all the days, make it for a few of them. We're going to go over the gap of Memore again, this unbelievable climb that John Howard, you saw that. I don't know if you saw the climb, but it's brutal. And we all had the wrong gearing, but, <laughs> and a lot of guys walked over it and, you know, we're going to do that gap of Memore again. And, and, and we're going to finish up near Dublin and, uh, you know, and if I can get together, uh, my next move is to have a banquet the Saturday night when it's all over, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. start working next but so i started this and i started plugging away at facebook and i called pat mcquade right away and i and i i talked about getting sean kelly and i let phil liggett know and uh you know and then i i've done some homework on uh, on reading some books about the history of their sport and and i've got a bunch of guys and now i'm gonna you know and i knew a lot of my boys couldn't go and i knew a lot of them did never race there like flip wall type or a bunch of my boys 
didn't race Ireland. You know, right. so it didn't, uh, it didn't mean that much. But uh, but I do have John Howard signed up. Uh, myself, I got John Bear. Uh, John Alice can't make it, but Doug Dale's going to do his best. You know, but I I've, I've got a I've got a mixture of guys from the club that are going and, uh, and, and I'm going to grab, you know, if I can get 15 or 20 people, uh, to, to buy in, it's going to, and then I get, you know, like I said, I'm expecting to have 15 Americans, maybe 20, mm-hmm. uh, anywhere 15 to 20 is, is fantastic. I don't want to. And, uh, and, and the Irish guys, there can be as many as, you know, who knows 50 guys or 80 guys may show up at different points along the way. Right, right. Yeah, it's going to be a hoot. I mean, there's a lot of guys over there that are psyched for it, really. And and John Pierce, who is a phenomenal photographer, posts on Facebook all the time. Uh, he's going to try and make it. Phil Liggett's doing his best. Uh, he really wants to make it, but he's got he's taken on more work now that Paul's gone. Right, right. And and I've gotten where I'm not advertising these guys because I don't want it to be a. It, it's for the hoi polloi. It's for the boys, you know. It's right. for the pack. It's for the peloton. It's for all of us that slaved through this thing. And a lot of them were club riders and never got. That was the highlight of their career. So uh, it's not about celebrities. But Sean Kelly's going to show up, and Pat McQuaid's coming back from France, and his brother's going to try to get there from Italy. And you know, we're going to just keep building on it. It sounds like a. a- it sounds like an amazing, an amazing time. It's been, a, it's been a lot of time, and uh, you know, to, to to be able to have that that experience, just to be able to ride your bikes around, right? Where where you yeah, made hi- made history. Hurrah! I mean, we're none of us getting any younger, you know. <laughs> there would be a lot of stories. Oh, it's going to be yeah. It's you know, uh, you know. I never heard John Howard, uh, even John's. Is, t- on another email to somebody says, Frank, it's not about the bike. It's, <laughs> it's about drinking beer and telling stories. I mean, for John Howard to say that, you know, you know, a few years have gone by, you know? Well, is there anything else that you wanted to, uh, t- to talk to about the trip? Is it, is there a place that people can find more information about it? Yeah. You know, we have some spots open and if somebody who's really, really wants it, that appreciates the era and wants to go and can, can under, gets a grasp and has some interest, you know, they can contact me on, uh, you know, through my email. Okay. I can put that in the show notes. Yeah. And, uh, uh because we do have some spots left. So by all means, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, um, it was a breakthrough for for American cycling in a lot of ways in that Phil Liggett was the commissar. He couldn't believe it. Right at the banquet afterwards, he got the, all of us together and he said, listen, you guys are all too old, <laughs> <laughs> but I am sending an invitation to your federation and inviting you specifically to come ride the milk race the next year. I mean, on the spot, we broke the door down. Right, right. So, I mean, um, a lot came afterwards and nobody really knows the history of American cycling of recent modern era. Uh, They go back as far as 7-Eleven. When you see a story, it's always, you know, the 7-Eleven team. You know, Mm -hmm. nobody knows the momentum that occurred before that. And in the early 70s, there was a lot of energy went into the sport and it launched the late 70s 
and the 80s in America, uh, the racing was everywhere. It was fast. There was a lots of big money promotions. Right. And it went right on into the 90s. Oh, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that period that we were in, we, we cracked open the doors and, and along with, you know, the guys that came shortly after us, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, we've been friends a long time and I've heard a lot of these stories over some, some wine and beer, but it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's important that more people hear like what, what that interim time was like and what you, what you guys did. Cause it's, it's important for the sport. I want to thank Bill Humphreys for joining me on the Paceline Tandem. He would like to let you know that there's still a few spots left on his tour of Ireland reunion ride this summer. If you're interested in riding with legends in a beautiful place, contact Bill at his email, billbikeguy at gmail.com. You'll find complete information in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Patrick and I will be back next week as the usual Paceline podcast resumes. Enjoy the ride.